Why did it have to be me? That's a question we've all asked ourselves during hard times. Family difficulties, loneliness, awkwardness, problems with school. Why did it have to be me? What would help? What is the answer? President Hinckley has said, Of all our needs, I think the greatest is an increase in faith. How could faith be the answer? We all know that more faith won't make our problems disappear, but I believe as our faith increases, we become more able to not only survive the hard times, but become better because of them. I believe faith is the answer. Listen with your ears and your hearts tonight because every song and talk and video segment is planned to help you leave this meeting understanding more about faith what it is, how it would help, how to increase it. Faith is the first of the young women values. I am a daughter of Heavenly Father who loves me, and I will have faith in His eternal plan, which centers in Jesus Christ, my Savior. When we bring that definition into everyday language, this is how some of you define faith. Faith, to me, is knowing that God's watching over us always, that He's there for us when we need Him. I believe that faith is the good feeling that you get inside when you're seeing, I am a child of God, or after you pray and you just feel like somebody special and you feel like you know He's there and that He loves you and that things will work out. Well, without faith, you know... I'd be out in the streets, you know, with my friends, partying and all that. But, you know, ever since I've been a member of the church, you know, I've taken my own stands, you know. I know what's right and what's wrong. I know that without the gospel in my life, I wouldn't be anywhere. I know that the Lord has a purpose for me and that I need to go where He wants me to go. And that we're not just put out here all by ourselves not knowing why, because you know he's out there and he's watching over us. If you just do what's right, then he will help you along and bless you and won't leave you stranded. Because as long as I'm doing what the Lord wants, then everything will be okay. Heavenly Father knows what's best for us. And I just, I don't know, through the little tiny things I've gone through, I've learned that. I know that Jesus Christ gave us the best gift that we'll ever get and that we owe everything to Him, and that without Him, there was no way that we could ever go back to the Heavenly Father, and that He wants us to be happy so much. Let me summarize those definitions. Faith means that I really believe that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live, and they are in charge of this world. They know me. They love me. They have a plan for my future. I will obey the commandments, work hard, and trust in their plan. Sooner or later, everything will be okay. Now I'd like to tell you three simple stories. We'll begin with a familiar one. God loved Moses. He called him my son. He watched over him as a tiny baby wrapped in a blanket and placed in a basket in the rushes. As part of God's plan for Moses, 
he miraculously came to be raised in the courts of the Pharaoh. Then God led Moses to Jethro, who taught him the ways of righteousness. Moses kept the commandments of God. As, Moses, as God asked more and more difficult things of him, Moses obeyed. He even went to the Pharaoh, despite his fears and feelings of inadequacy, repeatedly demanding that Pharaoh free the children of Israel from bondage. Let my people go. The Lord showed forth miracles to the Pharaoh, but he continued to refuse Moses' request until his own firstborn son was struck dead. Then in fear, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, take your flocks and herds and be gone. And so 600,000 Israelite men and about one and a half million women and children left Egypt on foot. The Lord went before them to lead the way. But by the time they had reached the Red Sea, Pharaoh had changed his mind. He wanted his 600,000 slaves back, so with a host of chariots, he pursued them. With the churning and impassable Red Sea in front and the thundering army coming from behind, the Israelites were paralyzed with fear. They forgot, in the terror of the moment, who was really in charge of their future. They forgot the miracles they had already seen. They forgot that God knew them. And they cried out to Moses, It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, and stand still. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And they remembered their faith. You know the next part of the story. The Lord made the sea dry land, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And of all the host of Pharaoh, there remained not one of them. Thus the Lord saved Israel, and the people believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live and they are in charge of this world. Heavenly Father knew the Israelites. Heavenly Father loved the Israelites. Heavenly Father had a plan for their future. Moses and his people obeyed the commandments, worked hard, and trusted in Heavenly Father's plan. Sooner or later, everything was okay. Next story. My great-great-grandmother's name was Mary Goble Pay. She was 12 years old and living in Brighton, England, when the missionaries taught her family the gospel. The year was 1855, and all Mary's mother could think of was to join the other saints in Utah. And so the following spring, Mary's mother, father, and four younger brothers and sisters boarded the ship Horizon for America. By the time they could get outfitted and started on the trail, it was the middle of July. Winter storms came early that year and the Gobels spent five terrible months on the trail between St. Louis and Salt Lake City. Mary wrote, We had to keep close to the handcart companies to help them if we could. We began to get short of food, and our cattle gave out. Many people died, among them Mary's two-year-old sister, her five-year-old brother, and Edith, a baby sister born on the trail and buried in Wyoming. 
And then when all seemed lost, the stranded saints were miraculously rescued by men and teams sent by Brigham Young. But even as the handcart companies crossed the final mountain into the valley, Mary's mother died. Mary describes the scene. We arrived in Salt Lake City at 9 o'clock at night, the 11th of December, 1856. Three out of the four people in my family were frozen. My mother was dead in the wagon. We were taken to a home, and the sisters brought us plenty of food. Early next morning, Brother Brigham Young and a doctor came. When Brother Young came in, he shook hands with us all. When he saw our condition, our feet frozen, and our mother dead, tears rolled down his cheeks. Well, Mary grew up. She married a good man. They had 13 children whom they taught to love the gospel. She said it made her sad to talk about that trip across the plains, but she always remembered her mother's words, I want to go to Zion while my children are small so they can be raised in the gospel of, of Christ, for I know this is the true church. Mary concludes, I think my mother had her wish. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live, and they are in charge of this world. They knew Mary Gobelpay. They loved her. They had a plan for her future. She obeyed the commandments, worked hard, and trusted in their plan. And sooner or later, everything was okay. When I was 15 years old, my mother suggested that I get a patriarchal blessing. Although I hadn't thought of doing so, her suggestion felt right, and preparations were made. I don't remember the interview with my bishop or making the appointment, but I do remember an increasing sense of reluctance as the day approached. My anxiety was all about my future. I had this sinking sense that maybe there wasn't anything there. I had heard story after story of remarkable blessings with unusual promises. Some days I felt extraordinary, as if there were special things ahead for me. But usually, I felt ordinary, even invisible. What if I didn't have anything in my future? Better not to know. Maybe there wouldn't be anything for the patriarch to say, and the blessing would only be one or two sentences long. I wondered if I would go on a mission. Would I marry? Would there be children? How many? As you can see, I didn't really understand the difference between a patriarchal blessing and a Chinese fortune cookie. But... I did understand one important difference. I didn't believe in messages and cookies, but I did believe in patriarchal blessings. I was prepared to believe anything that was said or not said. While the anticipated day arrived, I went with my parents to the patriarch's cozy little study. As he placed his hands on my head, there was a steadiness that vaporized all uncertainty. I remember the surprise and wonder of that day, but also of every other time I have read that blessing. The startling news, he knows me. Heavenly Father knows me, and he has a plan for my future. I don't need to know all the details, but if I do my part, it will turn out wonderfully well. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live and they are in charge of this world. They know me. They love me. They have a plan for my future. 
I will obey the commandments, work hard, and trust in that plan. Sooner or later, everything will be okay. Now, I've told you these three stories tonight for a very important reason. Each of them belongs to you. The Israelites of ancient times are your people. The miracles God provided to them are part of your spiritual heritage. The pioneers are your people. It makes no difference whether their names appear on your pedigree chart. The miracles God provided to them are part of your personal spiritual heritage. If God did it for Moses by the Red Sea, for Mary Goble Pay on the Plains of America, for me under the hands of a patriarch, he will do it for you. Remember, remember, remember how God has worked in these lives. Remember how he has worked in your life. Write in your journal about the times when you have felt his love for you. Write about the times when he has intervened in subtle or obvious ways to make everything work out okay for you. And when you feel abandoned and desperate, those memories will renew your faith and keep you trusting until you understand better. Now pay attention to your feelings as I define faith one last time. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ live, and they are in charge of this world. They know you. They love you. They have a plan for your future. You must obey the commandments, work hard, and trust in that plan. And sooner or later, everything will be wonderful. Did you notice how you felt? Even talking about faith brings feelings of peace and steadiness, doesn't it? Faith is the answer. I need more faith. You need more faith. Heavenly Father, increase our faith, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I come before you, my brothers and sisters and friends, with the sincere hope that you will extend to me your faith and prayers as I humbly seek in the next few minutes to acknowledge the hand of the Lord, our God, in our lives. I extend to Sister Norma Ashton our love and prayers in the passing of our beloved associate, Elder Marvin J. Ashton of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Some months ago, as Elder Spencer J. Condy and I were in the Salt Lake Airport, we unexpectedly met a devoted and faithful couple who have been friends for long years. This couple have spent a lifetime of service, meekly, faithfully, and effectively trying to build up the Church in many places of the world. Elder Condy noted, Isn't it remarkable what people with five loaves and two fishes do to build up the kingdom of God? This kind of quiet, devoted service to me is surely a fulfillment of the word of God, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple and to the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. Today I would like to speak to those of us who have only talents equal to five loaves and two fishes to offer the Savior to help feed the multitudes. 
When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered quickly that there was not enough money to buy bread for the multitude. Then Andrew, Peter's brother, said, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up into heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were all filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Subsequently, their hearts were hardened in that they forgot the divine mission of Jesus, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves. In our time, we seem to have forgotten the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes in favor of the miracles wrought by the mind and hand of men. I refer to the marvels of modern transportation and the increasing sophistication of all scientific knowledge including the new electronic highway. We have forgotten that this amazing knowledge comes to mankind only as God chooses to reveal it, and it should be used for purposes nobler and wiser than mere entertainment. This knowledge permits the words of the prophets of God to be bounced off satellites hovering over the earth so it is possible for much of mankind to hear their messages. With this great knowledge has come also some skepticism about the simple and profound eternal proofs taught in the miracle of the loaves and of the fishes, namely that God rules in the heavens and the earth through his infinite intelligence and goodness. We are also to understand and remember that we too, like the lad in the New Testament account, are the spirit children of our Heavenly Father that Jesus is the Christ, our Savior, and the Redeemer of the world. We believe that in the centuries following the establishment of his kingdom upon the earth, the doctrines and the ordinances were changed, resulting in a falling away and the loss of the keys of the priesthood authority from the earth. A miracle even greater than that of the loaves and of the fishes was the vision of the prophet Joseph Smith, who saw the Father and the Son in the sacred grove in Palmyra, New York. Subsequently, the keys, the priesthood, and the saving ordinances were restored in their fullness, and Christ's Church was reestablished in our time. Thus, God has again fed us and filled our baskets to overflowing. It has been said that this Church does not necessarily attract great people but more often makes ordinary people great. Many nameless people with gifts equal only to five loaves and two small fishes magnify their callings and serve without attention or recognition, feeding literally thousands. In large measure they make possible the fulfillment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that the letter-day gospel of Christ would be like a stone cut out on the mountains, without hands, rolling forth until it fills the whole earth. 
These are the hundreds of thousands of leaders and teachers in all of the auxiliaries and priesthood quorums, the home teachers, the Relief Society visiting teachers. There are the many humble bishops in the Church, some without formal training but greatly magnified, always learning, with a humble desire to serve the Lord and the people of their wards. Any man or woman who enjoys the Master's touch is like potter's clay in his hands. More important than acquiring fame or fortune is being what God wants us to be. Before we came to this earth, we may have been fashioned to do some small good in this life that no one else can do. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. If God has a work for those with many talents, I believe he also has an important work for those of us who have few. What is the central characteristic of those having only five loaves and two fishes? What makes it possible under the Master's touch for them to serve, lift, and bless so that they touch for good the lives of hundreds, even thousands? After a lifetime of dealing in the affairs of men and women, I believe it is the ability to overcome personal ego and pride. Both are enemies to the full enjoyment of the Spirit of God and walking humbly before Him. The ego interferes with husbands and wives asking each other for forgiveness. It prevents the enjoyment of the full sweetness of a higher love. The ego often prevents parents and children from fully understanding each other. The ego enlarges our feelings of self-importance and worth. It blinds us to reality. Pride keeps us from confessing our sins and shortcomings to the Lord and working out our repentance. What of those who have talents equal only to two loaves and one fish? They do much of the hard, menial, unchallenging, poorly compensated work of the world. Life may not have been quite fair to them. They struggle to have enough to hold body and soul together. But they are not forgotten. If their talents are used to build the kingdom of God and serve others, they will fully enjoy the promises of the Savior. The great promise of the Savior is that they shall receive their reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. The one who had only two talents was able to say, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. Thus said the Lord, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. It is a blessing for some to be giving minds and talents equal to fifteen loaves and ten fishes. They have so very much that they can contribute, but some become less than they might. They do not reach their potential of service, perhaps because they take so much pride in what they think they know and what they have. They seem unwilling or unable to 
yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, and willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon them, even as a child does submit to his father. During much of my life, a few journalists and dissidents have predicted the imminent downfall of this Church. They have often pointed to the alleged disaffection of the youth of the Church. The lives and the dedication of our almost 50,000 young missionaries are testament enough of the faithfulness of many of our youth. In addition, during my lifetime, the Church has grown from 525,000 to about eight and a half million. I believe in testify that this is because of the restoration of the fullness of the keys and authority of the gospel of Christ by Joseph Smith. Recently, an out-of-state journalist used the phrase that there were appearing cracks in the walls of the temple, figuratively speaking, of course. By this, yes, I suppose he meant that the moorings of the Church were being shaken by a very few who do not fully sustain the leaders of the Church or keep their covenants. To dispel this perception of cracks in our members' faith, we need only to observe the joyful people who worship in any of our 45 temples worldwide. Many are couples clutching their little bags and holding hands, and the many unmarried seeking the peaceful blessings of the house of the Lord. Their countenances reflect much joy and satisfaction in their lives. A major reason this Church has grown from its humble beginnings to its current strength is the faithfulness and devotion of millions of humble and devoted people who have only five loaves and two small fishes to offer in the service of the Master. They have largely surrendered their own interests and in so doing have found the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. I wish only to be one of those who experiences this supernal inner peace. In the listening audience today are Jeff and Joyce Underwood of Pocatello, Idaho. They are parents of Lee and their other five children. Jeff works on a building maintenance team that cares for some of our chapels in Pocatello, Idaho. Joyce is a mother and homemaker. One day last July, their daughter, Geralee, age 11, was going door-to-door collecting money for her newspaper route. Geralee never returned home, not that day, nor the next day, nor the next, nor ever. Two thousand people from the area had gone out day after day to search for her. Other churches sent support and food for the searchers. It was learned that Jerry had been abducted and brutally murdered by an evil man. When her body was found, the whole city was horrified and shocked. All segments of the community reached out to Joyce and Jeff in love and sympathy. Some became angry and wanted to take vengeance. After Geraldine's body was found, Jeff and Joyce appeared with great composure before the television cameras and other media to publicly express their profound thanks to all 
who had helped in the search and who had extended sympathy and love. Joyce said, I know our Heavenly Father has heard and answered our prayers, and he has brought our daughter back to us. Jeff said, We no longer have doubt about where she is. Joyce continued, I have learned a lot about love this week, and I also know there is a lot of hate. I have looked at the love and want to feel that love and not the hate. We can forgive. Elder Joe J. Christensen and I, representing the general authorities, were among the thousands privileged to attend Geraldine's funeral service. The Holy Spirit blessed that gathering in a remarkable way and spoke peace to the souls of all who attended. Later, President Kurt W. Howard, Geraldine's stake president, wrote, The Underwoods have received letters from people both in and out of the Church stating that they prayed for Geraldine and they hadn't prayed in years, and because of this they had a renewed desire to return to the Church. President Howard continued, We will never know the extent of activation and rededication this single event has caused. Who knows the far-reaching effects Geraldine's life will have for generations untold. Many have come into the Church because they wanted to know what kind of a religion could give the Underwoods their spiritual strength. I mentioned the good coming from this tragic event with Geraldine's parents' full approval and encouragement. Their sweet daughter was like the lad who had only five barley loaves and two small fishes to give to the cause of the Savior. But by the power of God, countless thousands have been spiritually fed. I testify that the gospel we teach is the power of God unto salvation for all who listen and obey, regardless of their talents and abilities. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved young sisters, I have been inspired by the prayers, music, and words in this marvelous meeting. I feel that each young woman who is listening has been strengthened in her resolve to become what President Jeanette Hales has challenged her to become, a righteous, problem-solving woman of faith. These wonderful women who are the general presidency of the young women of the Lord's Church have told us how this can be accomplished, how we can seek and obtain and increase faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sister Pierce gave us inspiring examples of men and women who exercised faith and trust in our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ by believing that they are in charge of this world, that they know us and love us, and that they have a plan for us. Sister Pinnegar taught us that we can and should seek and choose to believe in our Savior and His love. These teachings and these teachers are true. I feel challenged by the responsibility of concluding a meeting on this fundamental subject. 
The first principle of the gospel is not faith. The first principle of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish to speak to you, young women, about that supremely important truth. Faith does not exist by itself. Faith requires an object. It must be faith in something or someone. In that respect, faith is like love. Love cannot exist without an object. A personal experience illustrates that point. Sister Oaks and I are the parents of six, including four daughters. Our youngest daughter is still in her teens. As parents, we have learned a lot about teenage girls. I remember when one of our teenage daughters announced that she was in love with eight boys. (laughs) She produced a list of their names. I made silent note of the fact that she had never even dated some of these boys, and one of them she had never even met. (laughs) Within a few weeks, she dropped several names off her list and added others. When I asked her how she could fall in love and out of love with so many boys so quickly, she wisely admitted, I guess I'm not in love with those boys. I'm just in love with love. Your parents and grandparents will remember the words of an old song, Falling in love with love is falling for make-believe. Love is meaningless unless it is directed towards something or someone. We love our parents. We love our brothers and sisters. We love the Lord. Faith is the same. If we think we have faith, we should ask, Faith in whom or faith in what? For some, faith is nothing more than faith in themselves. That is only self-confidence or self-centeredness. Others have faith in faith, which is something like relying on the power of positive thinking or betting on the proposition that we can get what we want by manipulating the powers within us. The first principle of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Without this faith, the prophet Mormon said, we are not fit to be numbered among the people of his church. The scriptures teach us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. That word which comes to us by scripture, by prophetic teaching, and by personal revelation teaches us that we are children of God the Eternal Father. It teaches us about the identity and mission of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Savior and Redeemer. Founded on our knowledge of those things, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a conviction and trust that God knows us and loves us and will hear our prayers and answer them with what is best for us. In fact, God will do more than what is best for us. He will do what is best for us and for all of our Heavenly Father's children. The conviction that the Lord knows more than we do and that He will answer our prayers in the way that is best for us and for all of His other children is a vital ingredient of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This important reality is beautifully described in an experience recorded in Elder John H. Groberg's recent book, In the Eye of the Storm. He describes a lesson he learned as a young missionary traveling on a sailboat in the Tongan Islands. Quote, 
We would always pray for protection, success, and good seas and wind to take us to our destination. Once I asked the Lord to bless us with a good tailwind so we could get to Foa quickly. As we got underway, one of the older men said, Elder Groberg, you need to modify your prayers a little. How's that? I replied. You ask the Lord for a tailwind to take us rapidly to Foa. If you pray for a tailwind to Foa, what about the people who are trying to come from Foa to Pungai? They're good people, and you're praying against them. Just pray for a good wind, not a tailwind. That taught me something important, Elder Groberg continues. Sometimes we pray for things that will benefit us but may hurt others. We may pray for a particular type of weather or to preserve someone's life when that answer to our prayer may hurt someone else. That's why we must always pray in faith, because we can't have true God-given faith in something that is not according to His will. If it's according to His will, all parties will benefit. I learned to pray for a good wind and the ability to get there safely, not necessarily a tailwind. End of quote. Faith must include trust. I am glad that each member of the presidency stressed that fact in her talk. When we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must have trust in Him. We must trust Him enough that we are content to accept His will, knowing that He knows what is best for us. The kind of faith that includes trust in the Lord stands in contrast to many imitations. Some people trust no one but themselves. Some put their highest trust in a friend or another family member perhaps because they feel that person is more righteous or more wise than they. But that is not the Lord's way. He told us to put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior gave us the model for that kind of faith and trust. Remember how he prayed to the Father in the agony of Gethsemane? This was the culminating event of his life, the climactic fulfillment of his mission as our Savior. The Gospel of Luke, as corrected in the inspired translation of the prophet Joseph Smith, describes how he knelt down and prayed, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Here we see the Savior's absolute faith and trust in the Father. Nevertheless, he said, not my will but thine be done. The Father's answer was to deny the plea of His only begotten Son. The atonement had to be worked out by that Lamb without blemish. But though the Son's request was denied, His prayer was answered. The Scripture records, And there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him. Strengthened from heaven to do the will of the Father, the Savior fulfilled His mission. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When we try to develop faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than merely cultivating faith as an abstract principle of power, we understand the meaning of the Savior's words. If ye will have faith in me, Ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. 
Similarly, the Savior taught the Nephites that they must always pray to the Father in his name, adding, And whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. Here the Savior reminds us that faith, no matter how strong it is, cannot produce a result contrary to the will of him whose power it is. The exercise of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is always subject to the order of heaven, to the goodness and will and wisdom and timing of the Lord. That is why we cannot have true faith in the Lord without also having complete trust in the Lord's will and in the Lord's timing. When we have that kind of faith and trust in the Lord, we have true security in our lives. President Spencer W. Kimball said, Security is not born of inexhaustible wealth, but of unquenchable faith. I read of a young woman who exercised that kind of faith and trust. For many months, her mother had been seriously ill. Finally, the faithful father called the children to her bedside and told them to say goodbye to their mother because she was dying. The twelve-year-old daughter protested, Papa, I do not want my mama to die. I have been with her in the hospital for six months. Time and again you have administered to her, and she has been relieved of pain and quietly gone to sleep. I want you to lay hands upon my mama and heal her. The father, who was Elder Heber J. Grant, told the children that he felt in his heart that their mother's time had arrived. The children left, and he knelt by his wife's bedside. Later, he recalled his prayer. I told the Lord I acknowledged his hand in life and in death, but I told the Lord that I lacked the strength to have my wife die and to have it affect the faith of my little children. He pleaded with the Lord to give his daughter a knowledge that it was his mind and his will that her mama should die. Within an hour, the mother died. When Elder Grant called the children back into the room and told them, his little six-year-old boy began to weep bitterly. The twelve-year-old sister took him in her arms and said, Do not weep, Heber. Since we went out of this room, the voice of the Lord from heaven has said to me, In the death of your mama, the will of the Lord shall be done. When we have the kind of faith and trust exhibited by that young woman, we have the strength to sustain us in every important event in our lives. President Spencer W. Kimball said that we need what he called reservoirs of faith to stand firm and strong against all the temptations and adversities of life. My beloved young sisters, each of you needs to build a reservoir of faith so you can draw upon it when someone you love or respect betrays you, when some scientific discovery seems to cast doubt on a gospel principle, or when someone makes light of sacred things such as the name of God or the sacred ceremonies of the temple. You need to draw on your reservoir of faith when you are weak, 
or when someone else calls on you to strengthen them. You also need to draw on your reservoir of faith when some requirement of church membership or service interferes with your personal preferences. You need the strength that comes from faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill your duty to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places. In times of trial, you need the comfort offered in the Holy Scriptures, which assure you that when you have the shield of faith, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ prepares you for whatever life brings— This kind of faith prepares you to deal with life's opportunities, to take advantage of those that are received, and to persist through the disappointments of those that are lost. Most importantly, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ opens the door of salvation and exaltation, for no one can be saved according to the words of Christ, save they shall have faith in his name. I testify that these things are true. I invoke the blessings of Almighty God upon you, my faithful young sisters, as you seek to develop and exercise your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as you seek to serve him and keep his commandments. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Come unto him. The message of that song is relevant to us throughout our lives as we learn to come to our Savior over and over and over again in every new circumstance of our lives. A few weeks ago, I flew to New York City to meet a new granddaughter. As my daughter and her husband met me at the door with their little three-day-old infant, there was an obvious radiance in that apartment. As they placed Hannah who will be named after my mother, in my arms. She looked like a curled-up little doll with lots of dark hair. Within a few days, Hannah was stretching out her long legs and her long, thin feet, and I started to think of all of the things she will experience as she starts growing up. Perhaps she'll have some of the same fears that I had, like being afraid to be alone in the dark at age 6 or 7. At age 13 or 14, She may be sure, as I was, that there will never be boys as tall as she is. That concern was increased for me the following year when I became convinced that a person with feet as large as mine would surely never marry. Those kinds of concerns are pretty normal, and the things that concern any of you would surely be concerns to me. But my greatest concern is that each one of you is growing in your spiritual understanding. I have a tremendous reverence for each one of you. My hope for you during these important years between the ages of 12 and 18 is that you are going from being a dependent child to becoming a righteous, problem-solving woman of faith. It's a mighty work you do during these years, and when you do your work well, you will build a foundation for a responsible and righteous life. When your leaders encourage you in the Young Women program to get involved with personal progress, 
I hope you will understand that this represents much more than goal setting and receiving recognition, although that is very important. The greatest goal is that you would constantly choose experiences that would exercise or strengthen your faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. There's a chapter in the Book of Alma, chapter 32, which seems to me to be written especially for young women. Alma teaches us how to exercise our faith and increase our belief in the words of our Heavenly Father. Would you go home and read this chapter? Draw a circle around every time it says the word. Then read the first verse in the book of John, where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the book of John, the word is referring to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The prophet Alma, in teaching us about faith, helps us understand how our faith in Jesus Christ can be strengthened. Alma compares the word, or our faith in the Savior, to a seed. In his words, Now, if ye will give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, Behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief, that ye will resist the spirit of the, the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, ye will begin to say within yourself, It must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now behold, would not this increase your faith? I say unto you, Yea. Nevertheless, it hath not grown up to a perfect knowledge. Personal progress is like an experiment on the Word. There are experiences with prayer, scripture study, strengthening family relationships, and service to others. Exercising our faith will increase and strengthen it. As we have watched the accomplishments of Olympic athletes, it's surprising to me that some would suppose that our spiritual growth comes without effort when our physical ability requires exercise and training. Now listen to the wonderful promise that is given to those who exercise their faith who will continue to nourish the word. But if ye will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow, by your faith, with great diligence and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. Growing up spiritually requires faith, great diligence, and patience. It takes maturity to look forward to those things that have eternal consequence. In infancy, little Hannah responds when hungry to food. She responds to gentle voices and dry diapers. It will be some time before she realizes that her mother is reading the scriptures to her while she feeds her. 
It will be many, many months before she knows why heads are bowed and prayers are spoken at the dinner table. Yet her faith will begin to take root in this trusting environment. A little child can learn to respond to good feelings, but you are learning to take responsibility for your faith. Listen to the words of three young women as each had experiences that provided a chance to exercise her faith. When I was 15, I decided that I was going to learn how to drive, and my sister was going to help me. So we were driving home from my orthodontist in Salt Lake, and she pulled over in Highland and said that I could take the turn at the steering wheel. And I kind of had a feeling that it was wrong, and I was scared, but I just thought, oh, you know, I'm just nervous. So I got in and buckled up, luckily, and we started down the road. And then um, she told me to turn off at one road, a certain road. And I, I was nervous, and it was a steep road, and I was just going too fast. And so when we, when we went to turn, and it, was, it wasn't power steering, so when I went to turn, I didn't turn the wheel far enough, and my sister just started to kind of scream, like, stop, and I just froze. And then we ran into, like, poles that go around a fire hydrant, and it just smashed the whole front of the car in. And um, it scared me really bad because my sister was just screaming and crying and stuff. And then once she gained control, then I found out that my lip was just split up and my, my knee was split, torn apart. And then um, we went to the hospital and got things taken care of. But after a while, I mean, it made me feel pretty bad. And I felt like everything was bad and that I just it was kind of worthless and stuff. But then I came to realize that Heavenly Father still loved me and that things would work out okay and that it was actually probably something that helped me learn, and it has to because I've learned to listen to my parents more and that when you have a bad feeling, not to do something, that you should follow that feeling. When we moved here, my dad had to come out um, before us because his job was ready. And and then, like, we, our house wasn't selling, and so we had to stay there. And he was out here for seven months, and he was living with different people out here. And and he was all he was getting real tired of it, and so were we because it went on for so long. And um, our family just didn't seem like a family because it was kind of split up, you know. And. We kept praying that our house would sell, and right from the beginning, my dad's company told us that they wouldn't buy our house, and so we didn't really think that that would happen, and no one seemed to be buying in California, and so um, my dad was, like, ready to come back, and, and, like, my mom said we had to pray real hard to be able to have my dad back again. And that night, my dad called us, and he told us that his company would buy our house, and that we'd be able to be together again. And it didn't seem like much now, but 
I didn't think my dad meant so much to me when he was gone, not having him around really <laughs> took a lot out of me. And now ever since then, I think I've had a closer relationship with my dad. When I was in high school, um, my friend's mom got really sick. And, well, everyone was praying for her and everything, and I thought, you know, well, everyone, someone's got to have enough faith at least to move a mountain. Or if someone doesn't have that much faith, then combined all the prayers would have, she got, she had to get better, you know. But she, she died, and I had a really hard time with that because, well, I thought that that's not how faith should work, you know. And um, so I talked to my friend a lot, and she helped me realize that um, more than anything, faith is believing in Christ, that Christ and Heavenly Father would take care of you and that they know what's right for you. Each of these young women had a different kind of experience, but each chose to exercise and increase her faith. Sarah disregarded a feeling that what she was doing was wrong because of her eagerness to learn to drive. After a bad experience, faith gave her the motivation or the courage to evaluate her very frightening experience and make some changes. Did you notice at first that she felt unworthy? and unloved because she had made an unwise choice. She said she felt kind of worthless. Those feelings are normal after making a mistake. But she wisely evaluated what had happened and why it had happened that way. She reminded herself of her Heavenly Father's love and what He would have wanted. She learned to listen to parents and acknowledge the feeling of warning. She recognized how she might use this understanding in another situation. This way, every experience can become a growth experience. Our Heavenly Father wants us to overcome bad experiences and not remain stuck in our feelings of being unworthy. The second young woman, Carly, experienced difficult family circumstances through a change in her father's employment and a move to another state. She learned the value of family relationships and being together. Through united faith and prayers, she experienced the blessing of feeling our Heavenly Father's love and support in bringing their family back together. Her faith was strengthened. In the third story, Paulette had a different experience when she learned to accept an outcome that was not what she had hoped for. She knew about the great power of faith, a power that could move mountains. But when her friend's mother died, she exercised her faith by trusting in Heavenly Father's plan for us. Growing up spiritually requires us to see beyond our own desires and to enlarge our way of seeing things. We not only have to let go of our selfishness, but sometimes let go of things we want very badly— to come to understand our Heavenly Father's point of view. It is so important in this day that we each build an inner core of spirituality. As you exercise your faith and feel that spirituality grow, you will begin to feel more secure. You will feel more confident. 
Gradually, we will come to more fully understand what it means to completely trust in our Heavenly Father and stand as a witness of God. As we become righteous, problem-solving women of faith, we will learn to represent Him and do His work. Three years ago, I had another little granddaughter named after me, Emily Jeanette. On the day of her blessing, I felt a tremendous desire for her welfare and a hope that the good things in life would come to her. In that instant, I thought of what it means when each one of us takes upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ through our baptismal covenants. I have thought of His great desire for our welfare. I feel the love He has for the young women of His Church. I have also thought of His great love and appreciation to you leaders, those of you who teach doctrine, who model righteous behavior, who provide an environment of trust where others can practice righteous living. I have a testimony of our Savior's love for us. He understands our challenges. We were intended to have experiences that will help us know good from evil. Most of us make mistakes. We can't be perfect alone. The atoning gift of Jesus Christ allows us to let go of our weaknesses and be strengthened by His perfection. I bear my testimony of His atoning gift to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The next song, sung by the choir, reminds us that our faith shows in our behavior. Our Heavenly Father has asked us to share the truth and to teach others of His love. The choir will now sing Seeds of Truth. Following the choir, we will be privileged to hear from a man who has been called to be a special witness of Jesus Christ. Elder Dallin H. Oaks, a member of the Council of Twelve Apostles, will speak to us. Following Elder Oaks' message, we will all stand together and recite the Young Women theme. Please remain standing following the theme for the closing song by the choir and congregation, I Walk by Faith. The closing prayer will then be offered by Sister Sharon Larson, a member of the Young Women General Board from Farmington, Utah. Three of my granddaughters are young women. They think it's amazing that I, Grandma, can actually remember when I was their age, your age. I really do remember many things, some hard things and some really good things. I especially remember a time when I was very happy. I was 17 years old. My friends and I went to a fireside where the speaker taught us about our Savior's love. He told us that we could have confidence in the Savior, that He would lead us, that He would be there for us, and that our faith in Him could increase and we could feel greater happiness than we had ever known. But we needed to participate. We needed to do something. We needed to choose to believe in the Savior and His love. We needed to ask for His help, and then we needed to practice thinking about Him all through the day. The speaker suggested 
that to help us remember to think about the Savior, we could listen to the school bell that rang often during the day. Each time we heard the bell, we were to say a silent prayer, even with our eyes open, even walking down the hall. We could thank our Heavenly Father for our blessings, especially for our Savior. We could tell him of our love and ask for his help. He taught us that in just a few seconds, many times during the day, we could practice thinking about our Heavenly Father and Savior. There was something else. The speaker suggested that almost immediately we move from praying about ourselves to praying for someone else, a friend, a teacher, a stranger, and asking Heavenly Father to bless that person. He also warned us that all of this might seem awkward at first, but if we chose to try, we could truly be filled with his love that our faith really would grow and we would feel joy. Wow! That sounded wonderful to me. I decided to try. I could not believe how many times the bell rang each day. When I heard it, I stopped. Heavenly Father, thank you. Please bless me and bless Doreen. I know she's having struggles. It was really awkward at first. But soon I found myself thinking about my Heavenly Father and Savior not only when the bell rang, but many times during the day. I remember walking across a muddy field one morning and seeing a tiny yellow flower. It was probably a weed. But to me, it was beautiful, and I felt that he had created it just for me. I loved him so much. My faith had increased, and I was happy. Choosing to increase our faith in the Savior isn't easy. It takes work. But the feelings inside of peace and joy and love are worth all our efforts. Sometimes when we try hard to make changes, good changes, we have a lot of distractions and obstacles. One of my favorite scripture stories is about Peter. As I read this story to you, think about Peter and what happened when he was distracted. Jesus and his disciples had just finished feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Jesus asked his disciples, to get into a ship and to go before him. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, he cried, cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I think that's a wonderful story. Peter chose to believe in Jesus. He asked Jesus if he could come to him, and he really did walk on the water. But when he began to pay more attention to what was happening all around him, the wind boisterous, he began to sink. What are the wind, winds boisterous in our lives? What are the things that distract us from the Savior, that turn our hearts and our minds away from him? It may be thinking more about pleasing our friends or other people than we do about pleasing God. It may be the loud and confusing voices we hear on TV, in videos, in music. Sometimes we just don't care. Our hearts are hard. There will always be distractions, winds boisterous. But if we choose to turn to the Lord, to believe in him, to follow him, we can increase our faith. When Peter began to sink, he turned to the Lord and cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him. He will do that for you. He will do that for each one of us. What can we do to turn to the Savior? What can we do to increase our faith in him? There are many things we can do, and I have chosen just three. We can choose to believe. We can ask for help, then listen. We can practice turning to him. In the scriptures, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. And to please him, we must believe that he is. Choosing to believe is an important step in increasing our faith in the Savior. It has to be our choice. No one can make that choice for you. If I stand in front of a mirror and look myself in the eye and say, I choose, I choose to believe in the Savior, that helps me. Then whenever I look in the mirror, it reminds me of my choice. Another thing we can do is to ask for help, then listen. Our Father and Savior want us to have more faith. Faith is a gift, but it must be sought after. We can seek after faith by asking for more faith in our prayers. Could we say, Heavenly Father, please help me have more faith? Harder than asking is listening. We can listen in our hearts and hear their voice. We can listen in the scriptures and hear their word. We can listen to our prophet and leaders and hear their testimonies of faith. We can increase our faith by hearing the word of God. And third, we can remember to practice. Practice turning to him, practice thinking about him. Increasing our faith does take more than choosing to believe and asking. It takes some kind of physical and mental action. It takes practice, diligence, patience, and it takes obedience. We must be doers of the word, not hearers only. 
We can practice living righteously by turning to him, by thinking about him, by following him, and then we must help him with his work by helping others. Abel helped me think about the Savior. Do you have bells in your life? A penny in my husband's shoe reminded him that he truly was Heavenly Father's little boy. A penny in your shoe. Ouch! Thank you, Heavenly Father. I do remember. I do love you and my Savior. I will think about you and follow you. It really makes no difference what you use, what we use to help us remember to think about our Savior. What is important is that we try. I sense the tender feelings in your hearts. I feel that too. I believe we want to follow him, to trust him, to please him, to live righteously, to increase our faith. I believe we can do that as we choose to believe. Ask and listen and practice and practice and practice. My testimony is that he loves us so much that he understands and that his light will comfort us and guide us as we come unto him. I love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.